0: So Brett, what's your silver lining? In general? In general, in this year, in I don't know. In life.
1: I I guess but but where
0: where do you find your silver lining?
1: I've got four cats. That's that's a silver lining of sorts. Um Yeah. I don't, uh, uh, I don't know. Cats. Cats make everything better for me. Cats are great. How about you? What's your silver lining?
0: Yes. You've made your feelings about cats and Rango very clear. Uh, (laughs) um, For me, you know, when I, if I think about it spontaneously right now in this moment, I would say my silver lining is my Saturday morning ritual. And my Saturday morning ritual is that I wake up, and because Doug and Doug and I keep separate sleep schedules, I I wake up by myself, and I go and I get a breakfast bagel sandwich from my favorite place in Austin, and the bagel guy calls me baby and is nice Aww. to me. And then I come home and because I'm a smart person, I like to set my coffee maker so that the coffee finishes brewing just as I get home from the bagel place. And then I sit in front of the TV and I watch one episode of television while I drink coffee and eat my bagel sandwich. And that's just a moment of complete peace that I just control and is uninterrupted by any of life's worries.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't do that with cats. Yeah, they would be interrupting somehow. The the cats always interrupt anytime I have anything. But that's the joy of having cats.
0: That's the delight of having cats in your life. You can't you can't be like uh, Robert De Niro with his three remotes in front of the Eagles game. I feel like like he would resonate with my breakfast ritual and think that it helps the Cowboys.
1: Probably, Probably, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's get started.
1: Let's do it.
0: are Necromancer! Necromancer! My name is she and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. My name is Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies.
1: What do we do each week, Brett? Well, each week we watch a movie, so you pick a rom-com, and I pick a horror, and then we review the movie, and we recap the movie, and we have a, a good time doing it, and then we mix it up, and we remix the movie, we turn the rom-com into a horror, the horror into a rom-com, and... It's great.
0: I have a lot of fun with it. And this week we are doing another actor themed episode. We're covering Ooh. actor, director, writer. Is he a writer? I'm sure, we'll, we'll assume. It. We'll, we'll, he's got a writer's soul, we're sure. Uh, especially if you throw out a Hemingway book out the window. <laughs> um, Bradley Cooper, but it's, it's, a, it's Bradley Cooper's time to shine.
1: Yeah, it's about time.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a proposition for you. Uh, I feel like every time we have done an actor episode, we have identified their superpower, so to speak. So okay. with uh, Matthew Good, uh, it's his ability to stare at you really well. Uh, I think with Tom Cruise, it's his manic physicality. Uh, as a Tom Cruise lifer, you might have another idea. What do you think is Tom Cruise's superpower?
1: Oh, yeah, running. I mean, everyone, yeah. <laughs> Running.
0: <laughs> Running is his superpower. Uh, and then with uh, Vera Farmiga, uh, I think her power is at being mysterious. She's probably yeah. the most mysterious woman I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, she's
1: got to be up there.
0: Uh, yeah, no, her, her just her ability to create a sexy mystery is is beyond anybody else and then Halle Berry is able to communicate a lot of empathy and heart in all of her performances and of course she's a great physical actor um so now we come around to Bradley Cooper I want to ask what is Bradley Cooper's superpower
1: Hmm, I probably should have had something prepared for this
0: um, I'm sorry, I keep giving you pop quizzes <laughs> on this podcast. Pop I mean, quiz, I, hot I, <laughs> I mean, I am trying to teach you about rom coms, one on one on one, but uh, I, I never meant to uh, <laughs> give you surprise quizzes.
1: Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I guess both of these movies have to have him struggling to let the other people in on what he's thinking and, and what his point of view is. So there's gotta be a kind of manic. I think his superpower really does come in like that yelling, like a frustrated yeller. Yeah, And then it it really did. It wasn't until this time where I watched these two movies back to back where I was like, you know, Bradley Cooper actually was a really good choice for rocket raccoon. You know, like I just, (gasps) He I, was an
0: amazing choice. He's I a great voice about actor. It. Yeah,
1: I never really thought about him like that. I never. I was just thought like, oh yeah, Bradley Cooper. He's a famous guy who's in The Hangover, and then he's a playing a raccoon who likes to shoot guns. Like yeah, yeah, I can see it. But watching these two movies, I was like, yeah, these are Rocket Raccoon audition tapes.
0: Hmm. You know, when you mentioned the manic thing, it it made me think of. So here's my theory. On what Bradley Cooper's superpower is. I don't think Bradley Cooper's like Johnny Depp or Jake Gyllenhaal, who can play these sort of too beautiful and pure for these world weirdos, loners. And it's like, it, it's the world that needs to change to accept Edward Scissorhands, not Edward Scissorhands, but. Bradley Cooper is of this world and he also plays crazy characters, but it's like they're crazy because of their vanity and their hubris uh, and a little bit of narcissism. Like he's kind of perfected playing the, the cocky alpha guy, like mm-hmm. in the hangover, he's kind of the, the cocky charmer of the group uh, and and that that's the lane that he stays in. Or um, I think in Wedding Crashers, he's kind of a dick in that movie. Or uh, early on, you remember I was doing an SVU marathon for a while. He plays a uh, skeezy defense lawyer. I he he's kind of perfected playing. These characters that have this very particular male brand of vanity and hubris that's not about their looks so much as their potential and their ability to gain, uh, recognition. He's trying to prove himself in a, in a particular way. Uh, and he, he kind of reminds me of, uh, Kevin Bacon and Stir of Echoes where there's sort of this this passionate drive for recognition, but then the things that they go after to get recognized actually alienate them from people further. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's, he seems like he's really good at characters like that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, 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 yeah, I thought both of these movies were very good, and I thought his performances in them were very good.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he did great. He just, I don't know, he does something though where I feel like Bradley Cooper can he he seems like he's okay with playing characters that aren't likable or aren't necessarily out there to be liked uh but he's still charming in that way i don't know
1: no yeah both of these movies very quickly have to kind of get you on the character side because they're gonna be doing things all throughout the movie that are not likable or that are self-destructive so yeah right away you have to be on Bradley Cooper's side. And he he does. He says, hey, come take this roller coaster of a ride with me. And you go, all right, Bradley. I
0: don't know. But there's something about the way he does it that feels so much more grounded than, um, like, I, again, I feel like, like I go back to, like, Johnny Depp or Jake Gyllenhaal who really lean into the oddball side of their performances. Like, they're... They they are it's not that they're they aren't relatable at all, nor do they try to be. And I don't think that Bradley Cooper tries to be relatable either, but he is more grounded and and seems more human uh, than those types of characters, which honestly makes him a perfect fit for both of these movies. Um, but getting into as far as wh- which one we should do first, uh I know that I already mentioned that I think I might like to do the Silver Linings Playbook first, just because I think we both have a lot to say about Midnight Meat Train. <laughs> Gosh, that yeah, movie is insane.
1: That movie's so good. uh Yeah, I th- I think Silver. That's the that's the order in which I watched them. I you had seen mm-hmm, both of same before, here. right?
0: I actually had been avoiding Silver Linings playbook because I have this really cynical uh, bent or impulse to where if something is liked and acclaimed by everyone, then it's not that I have to hate it, but it takes me a lot longer to get to the road of liking it. Uh, and, I mean, it, it could have any – it's probably because I, I'm also an elitist narcissist in my own way. <laughs> I um, <laughs> My ego doesn't allow me to think that I'm as unexceptional as someone who would just like everything that everyone else likes when there's not even a problem with that.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I think, I think even the first time I was done watching Silver Linings Playbook, there was this sense of like – it it had both critical acclaim and the opposite of that. It was just like, I don't know. It it had this sense of this, like I I could see people saying, oh, this is a great movie, but I could also see, I could also see people just trashing the movie going like, oh, this is not a good movie. And I kind of was like,
0: this Com- isn't a revolutionary movie. That's what I'll say. Sure.
1: I was comfortably
0: in the middle with leaning
1: on liking it. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, I, I get it. I, I get all the criticism towards it. Kind of like uh, when we watched Han and her sisters. It was like, yeah, I can get all the criticism against it. But at the same time, I just really like the movie. Like I really.
0: Yeah, but okay. I will say here's one thing that I will say about David O. Russell versus Woody Allen. I mm-hmm. think that Woody Allen is absolutely enamored with his own cleverness, uh-huh. and it shows in his movies. And I look at the work of David O. Russell, and I don't get that feeling as much from this movie or from I Heart Huckabees, for example. Really? That uses, uh, I mean, I think that he he's concerned with these really oddball things and and he has he has these specific intellectual interests but i i don't know i feel like i feel like it's a little bit more human
1: yeah i I definitely think that he, he probably. You think he's
0: enamored with his own cleverness? Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Have you ever seen the the videos of him on set?
0: Oh, I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring that up. So is this, is this, is this just with him and Lily Tomlin, right? He screamed at her, uh, or does he scream at everyone,
1: I I would I would guess that he screams at everyone, but I I don't think Lily Tomlin was the first time that it happened. I think it was just like the the one that was recorded and put out for the internet to see, which was pretty great. <laughs> um, right?
0: Yeah. No. I mean that stuff like that and Alec Baldwin's voicemail to his daughter—it's it's insane. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Um but, I do I do like his movies. I think they're good i I get it. I get the criticism against the movies. I just I don't know. yeah, I like them.
0: I mean, it's a little sappy. It's a little pedantic. I don't know, but it's it's incredibly polished. yeah um, yeah, 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 it just it 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 all works, but I don't think it breaks the mold. There isn't anything unconventional about it. Um, I mean, I think except maybe the subject matter focusing on people who are struggling through mental illness and and issues like that, I think makes it more unique. Um, but like I said, this isn't a movie that started the revolution of rom-coms about neurodiverse people or, uh, changed cinema, changed filmmaking or what we, what we understood as possible forever. Um, but it, you know, it all it all still really works. and I it I feel like I so, I sound like such a bitter person for not wanting to admit how good the movie is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it it's something where, yeah, I I have to battle past my own cynicism to admit that this movie is actually really good. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and tell us the story? Okay,
1: so the story of Silver Lining's playbook. Is one where we start eight months after uh, Pat has been admitted into a mental health facility for bipolar disorder, and so we get him right on uh, right on his day out as he re- he is released into the care of his father and his mother uh, at their home
0: against and... the advice of his doctor,
1: right? Uh, and they live in Pennsylvania. Uh, I am. I am a Redskins fan, so I could relate to some of the footballisms in this movie, but I did not like how they they were Eagles fans at all. I did not like that one bit. No, ma'am.
0: Wait, so are you telling me that you not being a fan of the Eagles made you enjoy this movie less?
1: Yep. Yeah, this movie could have been a hundred times better if it took place in Washington, D.C., and it had an actual good football team at the center of its narrative instead of the Eagles? Ugh. Although, to be honest... Well, I'm
0: from Dallas, so it's the boys for me.
1: Ugh, even worse. Although, At to- least
0: we were represented in the movie.
1: Right. Um, although, to be fair, I don't... Uh, uh, I don't think the Redskins are very good and have, have not been very good for a while. So, uh, so
0: yeah, it's not like they were ever called America's team or anything. Uh,
1: well, this is, a, <laughs> this is a podcast for another day. Um, <laughs> no. So right off the bat, we get some, some really kind of hazy stuff because Pat really seems to be focused on reconnecting with his wife, Nikki Even though she has moved away and obtained a straining order after Pat found her in the shower with another man, uh who was listening to
0: their wedding song. Right.
1: Listening to their wedding song. He was a professor at the at the what was it, the high school or the college with tenure. And so like it was just a, a bad day for him. And yeah, so he snapped and he beat the crap out of the guy. And um during during his time at the clinic, Pat befriends Danny McDaniels, uh, an easygoing man who is embroiled in a legal dispute with the clinic over whether or not he is eligible to leave. So that's got a few little jokes here and there. Um, Chris Tucker. Uh,
0: it's such a thin, like, okay, here's one thing that okay. this movie does that's so conventional and needs to stop, which is casting people of characters as supporting characters where their only purpose in the plot is to help the main white characters. It's, it's the whole magical Negro thing. And they give him the barest of plots. That's all his own. Like obviously he has his own worries and his own life things to deal with other than eventually helping Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence learn how to dance without looking so awkward. Um, But they give him just the barest of, of plots to have his own life and own concerns that are separate from them.
1: Yeah, I don't know. The movie's two hours, I think. This is very easily the kind of movie that could get into over two-hour bloated territory. Yeah, so
0: no, no more than two hours, for I, sure.
1: I appreciate kind of putting a scalpel to some of these things, even though I agree that they probably... Like, yeah, these 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 things could probably be fleshed out a bit, but I don't know. I say put the scalpel to it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So Pat's therapist, Dr. Patel, does his best to convince him to to keep taking his medication uh, as a repeat of his violent outburst might send him back to the clinic um pat tells him he has a new outlook on life he attempts to see the good or silver linings in in all that he experiences he employs the latin phrase excelsior translated as always higher or ever upward as the mantra to his new optimistic outlook and meanwhile, Pat experiences a series of anxiety attacks in his new life, uh, basically back at home with his parents, including a violent reaction to Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell <laughs> to Arms, which he throws out the of the bedroom best. window.
0: I think that's a meme now.
1: How exactly do you mean?
0: Oh, I mean that. I think that that people take that clip and use it as a reaction meme. Oh, uh, sure. Like, I oh, you read, it. you read something that makes you want to just throw it out the window. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, yeah. So we we get a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, his mother is really trying her best to hold the house together the dad's got his own problems he's got anger issues of his own he's got gambling problems of his own ocd problems of his own like everyone's just got problems no one wants to deal with them it's family they're all they all have to like each other that's how it happens um
0: I do think that the show, or not the show, because it's not TV. It's uh, I do think that the movie does a really good job of showing you these relationships and showing you yeah. the, everybody else's dysfunction and how Pat sees the dysfunction, but they can't see it. Uh, and just uh, the way that Robert De Niro just pleads for Pat, to watch the games with him. And you can just feel that it's not for the reason that Pat wants it to be, that his father wants to genuinely spend time with him. Or maybe there's a little bit of that, but he really right. wants his good luck charm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good movie. <laughs> um, so this is where things really start to kick up, right? We go to dinner with uh, with Pat's friend Ronnie and Ronnie's wife Veronica. Uh, Pat meets Veronica's sister Tiffany Maxwell, a young widow with an unnamed disorder. Uh, but essentially, they connect over dinner, talking about
0: different drugs. Horny grief. She's right. a yes. <laughs> she's contracted extremely horny grief. Um, they, they kind of trade, uh,
1: they, they trade drug prescriptions like Vera Farmiga and George Clooney trade, uh, credit cards,
0: rewards programs. Yeah.
1: And, uh, so kind of like sparks kind of start to fly between Pat and Tiffany. And then, uh, at dinner she gets fed up with her sisters. So she says she's going to leave. She pretty much demands that Pat walk her home. They get home, and Tiffany basically offers, like, hey, if you want to go have sex, we can go have sex, but we're just going to keep things casual. And Pat really wants to keep focused on getting Nikki back. So even though – anytime Tiffany tries to get closer to Pat, uh, he – sort of diverts that and tries to bring it back to Nikki so eventually what she does is she starts using Nikki as a way to get Pat closer to him. So for instance she says she'll give Nikki a letter which she's definitely not supposed to do uh, because of the restraining order thing very bad
0: mm-hmm. but it's something that only a crazy person would say and do
1: Right and so makes them perfect for each other. Oh it's so perfect. it's so cute. Um, and so, yeah, so in return, basically we get this set up where, um, Tiffany will help Pat get a letter to Nikki if Pat helps Tiffany with a dance competition that's coming up because it's
0: just a dance thing. It's just a dance
1: thing. Uh, he reluctantly agrees and the two perform a very rigorous practice. Are they, they, ugh. Uh, Pat agrees, reluctantly agrees, and the two begin a rigorous practice regimen over the following weeks. Uh, even Danny comes to help him, but when he does, Pat starts to get jealous and, you know, it's, it's the typical kind of thing where, like, you know, he's, he's, he says he's not into her, but the moment someone else shows any kind of bit of affection or flirtation, he, he wants in.
0: Right, um, like the way he drives off the guy who she invited to come see her.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So uh, so Pat believes the competition will be a good way to show Nikki that he has changed and become a better person. All of this is happening while Pat Sr. hopes to open his own restaurant and has resorted to illegal bookmaking. Having bet virtually all of his money on the outcome of, a, of an Eagles game, he asked Pat to attend as his good luck charm. Which is i mean even even watching it in like for the first time in the moment, you're like, Pat is not a good luck charm man he is a disaster uh, <laughs>
0: no, I think that the thing that's sad about that scene is of course the fact that he can't his father can't go right senior can't go because he got kicked out of the stadium yeah he's and- banned. He And again, it's not out of this genuine desire for Pat to go to the game and spend this time with his brother, who's, of course, beautifully played by the guy who plays an asshole every single time he's on screen. He's just... He's like the Dan Duria of our time, that actor who plays his older brother. Yeah, Shay uh, Wiggum. He's a Shea, good actor. Yeah, man. Shea yeah. Wiggum's so good. But I feel like Shea Wiggum's lane is he just is so good at playing people you love to hate or you're yeah. just like that guy. Uh, But it's not out of, out of this genuine desire for Jake and Pat to go to the game and have a good time and and really enjoy themselves and, and have this return to normalcy where Pat can, you know, get some of his life back. Because, like, what Pat went through, what, what Tiffany went through, these are traumatic events. I, I think that people, when we think about mental illness or we think about people suffering from mental health issues – we forget that they're people who've experienced serious traumas and, and they're trying to recover. Um, so it's not out of that genuine desire. It's his, his sort of, you know, obsessive compulsive need to have the charms align and the Eagles win.
1: Yeah, it's. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> I but of course, he gets in trouble at the game.
1: Well, so of course he gets in
0: trouble at the
1: game because, um, you know, well, first of all, he asked Tiffany for some time off for practice to attend the game. She says no, but he goes anyway. He forgets to tell her. And then when he gets into the stadium, uh, he meets up with his therapist who he didn't know was going to be there, Dr. Patel. He's an
0: Eagles fan too.
1: Eagles fan. So today they're not therapist and client. They are Eagles fans. They are brothers in arms fighting for the eagles to make the playoffs uh or the super bowl or whatever time of year it is and uh and pat's doing really well pat's at the game he's having a good time things are going really well and then some drunken hoodlums show up and harass the doctor pat gets into a fight in order to protect his brother and his his doctor and his friends and then he gets hauled off uh potentially almost on the verge of going back to the um, the mental health facility right that's the idea is that uh, the the more altercations he has and the louder those altercations get uh, the the closer he is to losing it all um,
0: what did you what did you think of the whole tailgate scene? to me it just it it was such a weird so uber male machismo I mean yeah again
1: again two hours right we want to keep the two hours um I think it's the
0: male version of the opening of Legally Blonde
1: yeah it um I mean that's the kind of stuff that you see though right you see a lot of people who are Eagles fans celebrating together and then you see those people who are just dicks come in and like They just fucking ruin the energy for everyone. Like, yeah, it's fun to be drunk and obnoxious if you're all on the same side. But if you're going to start acting like a dick, then come on, man.
0: But why does this happen among fans of the same team? That's what I want to understand is, you know, when, when the alcohol and the testosterone is flowing, Philadelphia. You, just start, you start grunting and making animal sounds at each other. Is, is that, is that what it's like tailgating? Or or are the Washington fans more dignified than Philly fans?
1: Oh, I think there's a lot of fans more dignified than the Philly fans. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, shots
0: fired at uh, Pennsylvania.
1: Philly's got a reputation. I mean,
0: it's not Raiders fans, right?
1: Yeah, Raiders don't have fans anymore because they, they had to move out of town. Raiders ran them out of town um I don't know I, th- I think that there is something very cinematically metaphoric about people who are all on the same side of a team getting along and then people who are also on the same side of that team throwing a wrench into things and making it really hard for those other people to just have fun and relax and enjoy the moment um you know, it's very it's very familial. It's you know when Pat goes home and he's trying to get his life together, and his dad's saying something, or his mom's doing something, or his brother is. The first time they meet, right? It's very um, <laughs> passive aggressive in terms right. of like I'm the better one. But yeah, it's you, you've you've got to like you've got to be able to put away all of that and just I don't, I don't know. You got to ignore the bad stuff embrace the good stuff, but that's hard when the bad stuff is abusing your family and friends. Like that's oof, it's tough. I think it's a good scene. Um,
0: I, I thought so too. I, I liked when Dr. Patel showed up.
1: Yeah, it was very funny. Um, and so then Pat goes home. Pat is in trouble again. Pat is on the verge of going back to the facility, but then Tiffany shows up and, and Tiffany kind of gives him a, uh, a, a a very good Aaron Sorkin-esque talking to. Oh, yeah. That
0: was, a, that was a total Sorkin female protagonist moment.
1: Yeah. She basically breaks down where the idea... This is such a great scene, too, right? Because, I mean, I, it's not that... Um, I, I mean, I know using the term crazy is, is not the right term, but... If, if you're using the term crazy in that sense, like in order to get someone on your side, a parlay
0: side, is crazy, Brett. It is a crazy. parlay
1: is very crazy. <laughs> um, but no, in order to get someone on your side and to say like, Hey, come see the world the way I see it. It's, it's not always best to come at them argumentative and saying like, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're this, you're that the way Tiffany says, Hey, listen, when Pat was with me, the the Eagles did this. When Pat was with me, the Eagles did this, and she breaks down Robert De Niro, Pat Senior's whole Philly bad juju vibe thing. Uh, she dismantles it completely and makes it so that the whole, so that they realize that him with her is good, right? Very cool scene. Uh, this he's going to
0: have to marry her if the Eagles are ever going to win. Right. Uh,
1: so this is a very cool scene where now we have the parlay. Um, the Eagles have to beat the Cowboys in the next playoff game. Pat and Tiffany have to score a 5 out of 10 in their dance competition. Uh, and it's a double or nothing parlay. So both of these conditions have to be met or else nothing happens. Uh... Very, very compelling stuff. Uh, Pat gets a letter from Nikki, and he reads the letter from Nikki, and he's very supported by it, but twists might be happening soon. Uh, Sooner than later, pretty quickly, Pat notices that uh, the language Nikki uses in her letter is also the same language Tiffany uses when talking to him. So there's that. Uh, and he just
0: tucks that information away. He doesn't yeah. even react to it.
1: I know. Very interesting choice. Very interesting. Uh, but then we have Tiffany, Pat, family, and friends arrive on the competition uh, of the um, dance night. is the same at this, the as this is the same night as the football game. So Tiffany has lied to Pat to say that Nikki's going to be there when actually she's not. But then we find out Nikki is there and she was invited by Ronnie and Veronica and uh, who just want Nikki to lift her restraining order on Pat to give him a chance to reconcile because – you know, Ronnie and Veronica are having some marriage problems, but they want to reconcile. So, of course, they want other people with marriage problems to reconcile, too. However, Tiffany, walking through the bar, finds this out, gets very mad at her sister, basically thinks the moment Pat sees Nikki, the whole thing's going to be off. So she goes to the bar and she starts drinking. Pat finds her moments later and... Uh, he sees Nikki first, but decides he's not going to do or say anything. And then he goes, he finds he finds Tiffany, takes him out on the, the dance floor. The Eagles defeat the Cowboys. So now all of the family, all the friends have run to the dance floor. They're on they're all waiting to see exactly what's going to happen the dance is very sexy but then it gets very silly and then at the end they try to do their super mega move and it kind of doesn't go very well and everyone's like huh but they pull it off in a very like cute little way where it's you know it's all about confidence yeah yeah
0: i mean the dance is a hot mess but they they make it look very cute
1: Right. So of course the dance ends and they get a bunch of four point whatevers, but the one judge at the very end gives them a 5.4 to make their total an exact 5.0 and everyone cheers and then we get the scene where Pat goes over to Nikki and psst, 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 psst. what does he say? I don't ah, know. And
0: okay.
1: then he, can I, and
0: can I comment on this one thing? No,
1: no, no, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Okay, okay, there's okay. so much to comment on in this last moment. So then, then we get the scene where it's like, uh, all right. So then Robert De Niro comes over. He gives this Robert De Niro speech at the end. And that convinces Pat, who is already convinced to go run after Tiffany to go run after Tiffany. He gives her a letter and it's very good because she's like, this is so fucked up. You're having me read a letter for your ex-wife. Fuck it. And then she reads it and it's like, dear Tiffany. And like immediately she changes. And like, that's a very cute, fun little moment. Uh, but basically he confesses her love for her. And then, you know, a year later they're all kissing and schmoozing and having a good time at the parents' house. And Happily ever after, I guess.
0: Yeah, they're they're doing well. They're together.
1: Yeah. So, what did you want to say about?
0: I hate it when movies do stuff like that. I hate it. I hate it. Right. it. I hate it so All much right. because I feel like when you and maybe this goes back to how I don't like twists either. Okay. I feel like if you withhold these kind of things from your audience, it's it okay, that is an enamored with your own cleverness kind of moment where it where it's, you know, lost in translation does the same thing and I think uh that movie ghost story or something also has a moment like that where it's like I'll show that they're whispering something, but you'll never know what those characters were saying. It's going to be just between those characters and, oh, it's going to be so ambiguous and mysterious. I think it's just, to me, it's, it's as good as the director slapping me in the face because you just have such contempt for me as a member of the audience to just, dangle this carrot and pull it away. Uh, I just, I, yeah, it's such a, I think I'm so clever moment. I always, I I think that it would be one thing to, to show it from just Tiffany's perspective. Um, But even after Tiffany splits, we still get him whispering to her. Uh, And, you know, I think, I think if I were Tiffany, I, I'd want to know well, what the hell were you even saying? Um, it's not, it's not like it, I don't know. It's not a sexy secret. I think it's, it's just, it's so pedantic. I don't know. I hate it when movies do stuff like that. And in an otherwise really great movie, they had to throw that device in there. What do you, what about I- you? Do you not feel as strongly about that? I don't. I actually kind of liked it
1: in this movie, especially this time around. I felt it was, yeah. You know what? I I had trouble putting, uh, to words earlier, or when I first watched this movie, I I had trouble explaining it. But like, the, at, at the beginning of the movie, we get uh we get Pat in his therapy sessions, and he's going over all of his different things that he has. Right? He has the mood swings. He has the uh, anger brought on by the stress. He has the uh, explosive tantrums, and like we, I, I know what all of that means, right? But like, I don't have, I don't have the same mood swings as he does, or the same anger brought on by stress, or the same temper explosions that he does. But the fact that like I kind of know about all of that stuff. It makes it a very specific cocktail that this character reacts to things in a very specific way, right? Which a lot of times is very self-destructive. Um, and so at the end of the movie, like I, I can feel that people might see some of that stuff and go like, yeah, that's just corny because... You know, like, it's silly that that he acts out like this. It's silly that he throws the book through the window in the middle of the night and then wakes up I don't think
0: so at all. He's more sensitive. His dial is attuned to the stimuli in a different way. He's more reactive and sensitive to things because he has a different understanding of the world.
1: I don't know. I just think that when... I think that when a lot of people watch movies like this, they can probably find it easy to, to criticize the characters because they, they find the characters very relatable, but also they're so relatable to a point where it, it becomes, I don't know. Like, I just think it's a very interesting, I don't know. Um, I I do think that um, I don't know. I'm running out of steam here. <laughs> I, um, I I don't know. I just think that that the the whisper at the end. I feel like I get what they're saying, and I feel like I don't need them to say it out loud. I feel like. You know, like, if it was between Tiffany and Pat, then it might be one thing. But the fact that it's between Nikki... Oh, that would have made me
0: even angrier.
1: Yeah, you know what? Like, it's not between the two main characters. It's between one of the main characters and a a person who we've never even seen on camera before, really. Except for a flashback. So I don't... I don't know. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the device of, like... Here, here's a bunch of specifics that make this character. Those specifics feel weird to me because they're very close to my specifics, but they're not exactly my specifics. So I don't need his specifics when it comes to reconciliation with his ex-wife. I, I, I like, so, yeah. I like yeah. the specifics of him and Tiffany and how right, they. Right, I like the letter. I like the final letter that he that he gives her. I thought it was very nice.
0: The final letter was great. Uh, so thoughts on Tiffany as a character.
1: I thought she's great. How about you?
0: You know, well, here's the thing. I think that Tiffany is the character of a lifetime. The just, I think that, I don't know. How do I say this without (laughs) sounding like I'm shitting all over Jennifer Lawrence? Let me say first that I think that Jennifer Lawrence did a good job in this role. I, I think that she, she, as a young actress, 22 years old, stepped to the up to the plate and played a really mature and complex character. At the same time, if I were an actress in my 30s, Any of the actresses that passed on this role and didn't get this role, people like Anne Hathaway or maybe even Vera Farmiga, uh, I would be tearing my hair out (laughs) over the fact that Jennifer Lawrence, a 22 year old actress, got this role and then won an Oscar. I would, I would, I would be throwing a fit because this is the kind of role that is you know most actors dream about playing about getting to play a character as complex and interesting and funny as tiffany uh and 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 then having it go to someone so young and so new, I can only imagine was just completely maddening
1: yeah, I um. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't really even think of it like that, but I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, this character does seem like she is written older. She's very mature. I'm not really a Jennifer Lawrence fan, but I think she does. I, I've said it before. Like I think she does infinitely better in movies like this than X-Men.
0: Right, right. Where
1: the direction is act as wooden as possible. Like I, you know what I mean, and I, I think that's by character design. I think Raven, Mystique, in the X Men series has a lot going on, and that the direction they took that character is kind of like, eh, just kind of act like you're over it,
0: right? Um, no, she's not. Yeah. She's not a, a cipher, you know. Like Scarlett right. Johansson is a cipher, and she can be completely blank. Uh, and do a lot with that, um but Jennifer Lawrence isn't like that at all um but uh all right well i've I've said my piece mm-hmm. on on Tiffany and uh ageism in Hollywood for now uh is there anything else you'd like to point out or say about the movie before we get into crush territory?
1: yeah, just um. Just uh, the whole being kind to yourself is really hard. I think that was a really good message that I took away from it this time around. Just the idea that a lot of these characters are really trying to be nice to themselves, trying to better themselves, trying to support themselves. But then family and friends or life makes it difficult. And it's like, you know, just being nice to yourself is not a weakness, you know, (laughs) like I thought that was a good message of the movie. Like I thought thought that was very nice.
0: Absolutely. I I think I think you put it pretty beautifully. Um, oh wait yeah. no not crush territory. I'm sorry. Kill territory.
1: Kill baby kill. Um, I don't know who this is a this is a rom-com, so I'm gonna let you go first on this one. who who are you thinking about killing?
0: You know, at first I thought about killing Jake. uh, But then when the racist Eagles fans showed up, it made it pretty clear that they were the ones that needed to die because they ruined the game.
1: Yeah, they did ruin the game. That did suck. That did suck. Um, I don't know. I guess I can go with, with the neighbors, especially the kid who wants to do the project.
0: Oh, gosh. Because at first I was thinking
1: like, hey, you know, here's a kid who wants to do a project. Maybe he's got mental illness issues of his own and maybe he's got a camcorder and that's how he deals with it. And maybe Pat can be like, hey, hey, kid, come follow me and we can make this documentary to show my wife or whatever. Like I I thought that's one of the directions the movie could have gone in at first. But then by the end, when they are having full blown arguments out on the front lawn, the kid is. Actively, like giggling while he runs away, trying to get footage of it. I was like, ah, get this kid out of here!" So get him
0: out of here.
1: Get this guy out of here. So that was my very
0: good. Thing. Very. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind killing
1: kids, <laughs> <laughs> but only if they're annoying. Yeah, only the annoying ones. Um. So how how did you uh, find? horrorizing this movie?
0: Uh, you know, I I kind of focused on the songs uh, okay. and the way that they uh, react to the songs. But as, as I was telling you before we started rolling, uh, I had a hard time redoing these movies. I, I feel like there's, you know, with a lot of movies, it's easy for me to, to let my my whole imagination airship just go off into some random territory. Yeah, let your free uh, flag fly, baby. Exactly. Um but I I I don't know. I was low on on inspiration. <sighs> it's it's close to the end of the year uh, and and maybe I'm just tired. <laughs> um but but I yeah, I I I thought about the songs and I thought about well, what if the songs were like an MK Ultra trigger that turned people into killing machines? So that's yeah. where I, I started. Are you a
1: White Stripes fan? Do you like the White Stripes?
0: Yeah, no, they're okay. I like them. You like them? You 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 like their their whole uh, White Stripes bridge during their dance?
1: Yeah, I did. And yeah, when it cut to the football game and it was the White Stripes, I was like, oh, something's going to happen because this music got really exciting all of a sudden.
0: Oh, that's right. Because they were in the middle of their dance and didn't the Eagles won during the White Stripes or?
1: Uh, oh, no, I mean the football when he goes to the tailgating game, it, it cuts from a very quiet moment to a... a A white stripes song and it's like
0: oh it's very
1: quiet and then all of a sudden he's surrounded by people and energy
0: and music
1: and it's like (sighs) oh boy
0: i thought that there was a white stripes interlude in their dance number too
1: oh yeah there was there was a few white stripes songs throughout the course of the movie but yeah their little white stripes dance number where they like get goofy with it
0: yeah that one was great Um, so I guess, should I just go ahead and go first? How, how easy was it for you? Did you come up with something interesting? I'm, I'm betting that it was more interesting than what I did. I have a pretty good one. Okay. I, all right. We'll, we'll get through mine and then, and then I want to hear it. All right. So I decided to call this one. I think we're alone now. Hmm. Uh, so Pat, he's recently released from a psychiatric facility. We'll say that the beginning of the movie is basically the same. He wants to get back with Nikki. He goes to dinner at a friend's house. He meets Tiffany. They kind of hit it off, even though they're rude and strange. Uh, I, 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 liked their, their meet cute in the movie had great dialogue. Um, so as Pat is walking Tiffany home, a car passes by that's playing. I think we're alone now by Tiffany uh, and the real Tiffany wigs out. She throws a hidden knife, which punctures the tire of the car makes the driver crash into a lamppost, and then while the song is still blaring, I thought of this sequence at least, uh, Tiffany walks to the man who gets out of the car, and then maybe she breaks his neck. Uh, Maybe she jumps on his back and breaks his neck. We'll we'll make it really dramatic. And then, uh, Pat is so shocked, but then because the guy was listening to Bob FM, uh, this channel changes and Masha Moore comes on and then Pat goes into kill mode and he removes the throwing knife from the tire and throws it through the throat of a man who's just walking his dog down the street. No. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, they just, they just killed two randos, uh so Tiffany she's recovered her sanity by now she grabs Pat they run um they're trying to make sense of everything so they hole up in a seedy motel uh and then they they're questioning well why is it that these songs are turning us into killing machines Tiffany says well let's let's go look for Nikki maybe I can talk to her and I can find out answers about what happened when you went to the hospital Uh, And so uh, they can't well, they have to go to Nikki because Tiffany's husband is dead. So they they can't really ask him if he's experienced the song with her before. Uh, So they go looking for Nikki, but then they find out that Nikki apparently never existed. uh, So it's it's kind of the woman vanishes or something like that or where all the evidence that Nikki was ever there is gone. Pat feels crazy. uh, But then he's like, well, your sister has met Nikki before and and she's married to my friend. Let's go find your sister. Uh, And they go back to Tiffany's sister's house. uh, But then they find that there's a for sale sign. uh, And then they go inside and they find that the pictures have a completely different family inside. Uh, So they go to Pat's home and tiffany's family home and it's the same deal like their whole lives have been replaced and and erased uh so pat and tiffany run away together hoping that they can just drive and avoid hearing those songs maybe they have a motto that the song isn't real uh to assure themselves that they're not going to kill a bunch of people. If these two extremely popular pop standards (laughs) don't don't get played. Um, Eventually though, Pat is just getting groceries one day when he thinks he sees his mother or the woman who was playing his mother. If, we're in a Truman show scenario, which as you can see, we, we are, um, and he goes after her screaming ma, um, but she runs and then the grocery store starts playing Masha Sharia more. And then Pat just goes on a rampage, uh, Tiffany gets to the store too late to stop him. Maybe we can go full Midnight Meat Train gore. Oh, by the way, did you notice in Silver Linings that Midnight Meat Train was the movie that was playing? Yeah, I thought that was so touch. awesome. I thought that was a nice connector. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can just go full gore in the grocery store. Like, maybe by the time Tiffany walks up, it's like, Stevie Stevie, uh, is it is it Stevie Wonder or um, uh, Smokey Robinson? Right, is Masriam or I forget who who does that song. But maybe as it's going, la 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 la, the sliding doors are hitting right. a severed arm or something. You know, you make some some really dissonant, disturbing imagery with this this song in the background. Um, but she's too late. Uh, And then Nikki finally appears and tases them both. Uh, And then Tiffany and uh, Pat wake up in a windowless cell uh, with a one-way mirror. Uh, And Nikki explains that they were essentially part of an MKUltra government experiment that's been shut down. They ran out of funding. Well, we'll say that it's a, a really bureaucratic reason that they got shut down. Uh, and then they thought that they could overwrite their memories uh, and and drop them into a fake life and and none would be the wiser. Um, but they're just not cut out for this. So Nikki leaves. I think we're alone now starts to play. and then Tiffany just destroys Pat. And that's where we end. We cut to credits, credits roll. cute Poppy, Tiffany. I think we're alone now playing. Um, as Pat is killed. Aww, that's sad.
1: Sometimes you gotta go with the bummer ending, though.
0: I mean, yeah, I, as as we will find out, uh, <laughs> sometimes there is no happy ending. That's right.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know why I don't know why I, I did mine like this, but I was really enamored with the end of Silver Linings playbook because I
0: thought. With everyone, everyone together?
1: Well, not, like the whole dance sequence and stuff, I thought it was really good how, you know, like you understood why uh, Ronnie and Veronica wanted to get Nikki and Pat together. You understood why the dad had his thing going on. Like you understood all of these moving pieces of the puzzle. And so I just wanted to make an ending that was satisfying like that. And so I went more with a um, Tucker and Dale versus evil kind of
0: horror. I love that movie.
1: Yeah, I I went more with that, like a a horror comedy than an outright horror. So mine is going to be called Silver Lining Roadkill. And (laughs) the the main character, Pat, he's going to be a taxidermist. And he's a taxidermist who works on these roadkill pieces and he makes them nice animals again. But then he starts entering a roadkill competition where, you know, he's got to like turn these raccoons or whatever. He's got to take these raccoons that have been severely disfigured and try to make them as whole and, you know, as complete as possible and so he's doing really well on the taxidermy circuit. And while we get him in his taxidermy world, we start to go down like every time he goes into taxidermy mode. Um, remember Elora? We had a taxidermy. Yes, in Elora.
0: I was thinking of Elora. Yeah.
1: So, so while he goes into taxidermy mode, he can like – he can have these visions, right? And and the horror can come from these visions. We can have these like horror set pieces where, where the imagination takes over him and he has to essentially confront death, right? Because he's got to take this dead object and try to make it look alive again. And so while we're meeting or while we're following along with Pat and his taxidermy stuff, we've got the bad guy taxidermist, of course. So I don't know who to call the bad guy taxidermist, so I'll just call him Tiffany, right? We'll just say it's a she, bad guy is she, Tiffany, Tiffany's the bad girl. I'm thinking that somehow Pat, the good guy taxidermist, gets convinced to do a taxidermy competition that isn't roadkill, right? So it's a more thoroughbred taxidermy thing for more high class people. And so this so Tiffany is more of the high class person. So we follow her a little bit as we realize she is more about killing the animals, like raising, finding them and raising them and killing them in a way so that they can already be the best animal they are. And her taxidermy requires very little work to make them extra beautiful. You know, like maybe if it's raccoons that we're sticking with, maybe it's like they're the most super shiny, silkiest coated raccoons of all time.
0: What if she dresses them up and puts them in little scenes, like like Sound of Music raccoon and uh, No and the Beast raccoon?
1: No, that's a different movie. That's like a that's like a, a Christopher Guest mockumentary movie. Um. So essentially what happens is they have to they have to reconstruct these raccoons for this world famous taxidermy place. And the bad guy has her own little raccoon that she's raised from birth that she's, you know, taken and it's like again, it's the most thoroughbred raccoon. It's so beautiful and everything. Like
0: Buffalo Bill, like she's bred it for the perfect fur.
1: Yep, and so her plan is to kill this baby raccoon and then make it a taxidermy statue. And I don't know, somehow at the end of the movie, they they lift, it's, it's the good guy versus the bad guy, right? They lift the sheet at the same time and we see that the bad guy taxidermist, she has made her raccoon perfect. And you're like, but we know the audience know, Ah, it's... It's a baby that she raised from from being a baby. It's so sad. But then the good guy's raccoon is like, a, a, I don't know, like a, a, a Pollock painting but taxidermized. It's like inside out and it's gross and it's all this stuff. And it's like because he comes from the roadkill world, when it comes time for him to finally make his final piece of art, he's like, you know what? I the roadkill we don't have to reconstruct it to make it look perfect it is perfect the way it is and we should look at it from the inside out so he gets a little more artsy fartsy with his and he wins the judges over and the judges say hey you know what we like this really weird disturbing inside out raccoon we're gonna be like one of
0: those body exhibits where it shows their skin and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like all inside Ow. out and we and yeah, and weird and stuff. And so the judges go, you know what, we're gonna pick this raccoon uh that's all inside out. And so then Tiffany throws a fit and says, Ah, but it should have been my raccoon and she she slams her fists on the table and her raccoon falls over and then the head falls off and you realize it's all just stuffing inside. And then you realize that she actually didn't kill the raccoon. She just made a fake. And so she's disqualified anyway because she didn't even use a real animal. And then at the end of the movie, we get to see the baby raccoon being rescued from her house because it's like, aw, you know, we want to see the baby raccoon live. But essentially, it's just taxidermy. It's a loose pitch. I got a loose pitch for you this week. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's uh, a taxidermy competition that features confronting death somehow being horror set pieces but most of it's going to be very silly
0: there you I go. can get into that like the raccoon version of thanks killing yeah. except it, I guess it's the killer taxidermist <laughs> right um, yeah so
1: yeah there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there but it's mostly just silly jokes about roadkill.
0: It's okay. I mean it it after I wrote Reese Witherspoon walking up to a herd of chihuahuas oh, right. in a horror remake of Legally Blonde, I, I feel like the sky's the limit as far as what we can pitch.
1: I agree. Um yeah, it's uh it's a loose pitch. I, I I'm very excited to talk about midnight meat train though, because I had a great time with that movie.
0: Yes. Well, that, that is a teaser for, uh, next week. That's right. Uh, well, I think that, that just about does it for this week. You know what? I, I've decided that I, I spend a lot of time talking about where you can find us, and I think that our our audience is, is pretty savvy. So rather than naming everything, I'm just going to say that you can find our podcast on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Please follow us, like, and subscribe. We are also wherever you listen to your podcasts. So wherever your preferred platform is, Spotify or iTunes or whatever, rate us, review us, uh, help us get, recommend us to your friends, help us get seen. Uh, and then if you ever have any questions or feedback, you can email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. So now let's go ahead and get into Love Bites. So what would you like to recommend this week, Brett?
1: Oh, I've been watching a little show called Yellowstone. Have you heard of Yellowstone? Uh, No. Yellowstone is with Kevin Costner, and he plays a ranch guy. And it's a modern-day ranch, and they have to fight off land developers and the Native Americans who want their land back and cattle poachers and bad guys, all sorts of things. It's just Kevin Costner growling at people. It's a really good show. Um,
0: that is a reason to recommend something.
1: Yeah, it's a really good show. It's it's created, co-created by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote... Sicario. Great movie. He wrote Hell or High Water. Great movie. And he did a little movie that's on Netflix called Wind River. So Yellowstone is three seasons long. I'm not going to recommend you watch Yellowstone because you, you'll you know whether or not you want to spend three seasons worth of time with these characters. And I'm just starting out. But Wind River is a fantastic movie that more people should see. It's got Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. And they play this like Hunter guy who's on a native American casino resort land and people are getting killed and he's got to like find out who did it. And it's, it's very good stuff. Very good stuff. He writes very good, like very good modern Neo Western scripts
0: i like pretty much anything with neo in front of it neo western neo noir neo kung fu you could you just put neo and neo rom-com you could put neo in front of anything and it'll pique my interest
1: yeah neo neo western sure that's a thing how about you what is your love
0: bite So I was actually thinking of uh, other David O. Russell movies. I mentioned I Heart Huckabees earlier and... I was reading an article on, I don't know if it's M-E-L or Mel.com, but they have this leading men retrospective and they had an article on Jude Law. And I know this is a Bradley Cooper episode, not a Jude Law episode, but they were talking about his performance in I Heart Huckabee's. And I watched this clip from when uh, Lily Tomlin and Dustin Hoffman as the existential detectives in I Heart Huckabees caused the very secure Jude Law to begin to doubt himself, it's a very well acted scene uh, from everyone. And and I Heart Huckabees is a really weird movie. It's about um you know a Walmart style conglomerate that wants to build over these marshlands that Jason Schwartzman is trying to protect, and he hires existential detectives to help him with his life. uh, And then it has a ripple effect. But I think that it is proof that David O. Russell is really good at getting great performances out of actors regardless of how talented they are. He gets a great performance out of Mark Wahlberg. He gets a great performance out of Jude Law. Uh, he gets a great performance out of uh, Naomi Watts. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it, it, screaming at Lily Tomlin aside, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's an entertaining, quirky, well-acted comedy. Yeah. All right. Well, that just about does it for today. We'll catch you guys on the next Midnight Meat Train.